0: My name is Eliane Goldstein, and you're listening to The Effect on Us. What bothers me most
1: and what keeps me up at night now is the rise of anti-Semitism again. Every survivor had one moment. You want to call it luck? You can call it luck, or you can call it divine intervention. If my mother's family hadn't been saved by Stanislav Brocholsky, who put his life and his wife's life and his children's life at risk, In order to save them, I would not be sitting here and talking to you right now.
0: The Effect on Us podcast. Here's Eliane Goldstein. The Effect on Us is a podcast for people of all ages to learn about controversial subjects and the ties it has to people nowadays. In this season, the focus of the series is the Holocaust. You'll be able to hear some of the best survival stories I've ever heard from people that went through the Second World War and learn more about the effect the Holocaust had on people from Generation 1 Two Generation Three. Did you know that the whole point of World War Two was because Hitler wanted to create a super race which consisted of Christians with blonde hair and blue eyes? Those people to Hitler were considered pure. Everyone else were considered unpure, so he decided to do an ethnic cleansing. In this episode, I'm talking to Ellen de Jong Tissenbaum. She was separated from her parents and moved in with a Christian foster family until she was forced to move to Canada. What's your name? My name is Ellen. De Jong. It's a Dutch name. I'm Dutch. I was
1: born in Amsterdam.
0: What year were you born?
1: 1936.
0: What was your family like?
1: I had a father, and my father was the first Dutch Jew that was killed doing underground work against the Germans in 1940, very early on. I had a mother. We lived in Amsterdam, right near my and an uncle who had a young boy that I always thought was my brother, but actually my cousin, and they were all killed in Auschwitz. My mother and I lived in Amsterdam. I was obviously very young. Um, When the war broke out, I was not allowed to play with any of the people anymore, right? And when I was five or five years old, they, you know, the Germans were marching through the city through Amsterdam and uh, big signs, no Jews allowed. Uh, the school I was going to, I couldn't go to school anymore. And I had, you know, the friends were not allowed to play with me anymore. I remember that well. But my, my, my father had a best friend who lived outside of Amsterdam. And he came in the middle of the night and he took my mother and I into hiding in his house. We lived in, I don't even know if you can imagine this kind of thing. It's an old farmhouse. And in that farmhouse, if you walked in, there was a double door and then there was a big cupboard, but the cupboard had a level on it and then it had a mattress on it. And we basically stayed there. You could pick up the mattress, and then at night we were able to go outside. This very nice man had eight children of his own, and somebody must have been disgruntled with him one day, and uh, all of a sudden we were. There. All kinds of Germans came with their, their bayonet, whatever whatever, 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 and we were picked up and uh, put in a sort of a truck and brought into a special place in Amsterdam from which we were. uh, So uh, in Amsterdam, there's a place that is still there today, and I went to visit it with my daughter a few years ago, and I was hoping to take my grandson this summer, but it doesn't look like we can. Uh, it's called the Schauber, S C H O W B E B U R G, and that's where they took all the Jews. And it was looked like a very nice place, and they were all kinds of Germans with this awful German music with German shepherds. That up to today, I do not trust a German shepherd. Very loud noise, and they put us into this awful train that led us to somewhere. And um, we lived in a barrack and my mother went to work and she got, uh, we had very little food. I was a very blonde little, pretty little girl. So I was able to sort of sneak around. I didn't have shoes or anything. And, at na- and in the evening, I would go to where the Germans were planting and steal potatoes and feed my mother. Unfortunately, I think I fed her all these awful potatoes and peels. And she got a disease, which now that I'm a nurse, I understand. But as a little girl, I didn't. She got what we call edema. So her legs swelled up and her arms swelled up. And she got bigger and bigger. At the same time that we were picked up, the person who was, at whose house we were, drew up papers that I was his legitimate child. Like I, that my mother and him had produced me. So, and he was the mayor of a small town called weisberg And he had a lot of influence with the Germans, He was able, he had an iron business to buy me out of concentration camp. And I can, I, for the best will in the world, I can't tell you when I came out, how I came out. All I know is that my mother said goodbye to me in camp and said her last words to me were never become Jewish again. Somewhere during the time that we were hidden, a priest had uh, put some water on our head and, you know, said, ABC, now you're Christian. So I went on this train back to Base Karspa, where they lived. I left my mother. I never saw her again and went to live in this house with the eight kids. At the time, I was very, very ill. I had what they call. Some kind of a disease where you couldn't swallow. I guess I had some kind of typhoid fever. But somehow I survived that. When I got well enough, the war was basically, I don't know how long I was in camp. I can't tell you. And I have never wanted to undergo analysis to find out because I didn't go to school. I started going back to school. And for my own protection, I changed my name. I took the name of the family that I was living with at the same time Holland was going through very deep depression they were all starving the Germans had taken all the good food the farmers were starving everybody was starving and all of us had no food we were living there the man in the house met my mother's best friend who had been married to a Russian Jew by the name of gorovich who used to teach the Germans how to play tennis. Somehow, one of the commanders had found out that he was Jewish and taken him to concentration camp too. So this lady and her two kids went to live with my father's friend. She, This lady was my mother's best friend. And eventually they got married and they had a daughter who's my stepsister who lives in Florida, who I dearly love and see all the time. Her two children now moved in and now there were 11 of us with no food. So up till today, if you give me beans or anything like that, I will gag because the only thing we had was beans. And if you didn't have them for breakfast, you had to eat them for lunch and then you had to eat them for supper. And along with that, they gave you cod liver oil. The war went on, and eventually, I guess we were freed. People would ask me, uh, "Do you want? Do you know that you're Jewish? Do you want to go live with your aunt and uncle in Canada?" And I said, "No, I'm very happy here." So they sent me to the Jewish, whatever it was, this Jewish organization that thinks that all Jewish children have to be safe. Sent me. To the psychiatrist, and up to today, I do not go. To, I was, I took a course in Adlerian psychology, and I dropped out when I had to go to, uh, to for psychological testing because I refused. And they kept asking me, "Do you want to be Jewish? Do you know what it's like to be Jewish?" And all the time, as a little girl, all you hear is in the back of your head is your mother's voice: "Don't ever become Jewish again." I started going to church. I was a very good Christian. I went to church. Whatever happened to my parents was not the Germans' fault. It was somebody's fault because my parents must have done something wrong. All the Jews must have done something wrong. So the Germans were had to get rid of these awful people. That's the way I was brought up. As I grew up, all of a sudden, my stepmother said to me, you know what, Ellen, you have started to look Jewish again. And I really did not know what that meant. What does it mean to look Jewish? Did I look different from her kids? Her kids had a, a Russian father. They were very dark. They looked much more Jewish than I did. But it started coming into my head. So at age almost 15, these two people showed up at my door. And we supposed to be my aunt and uncle from Canada. And they lived in a place called Trout River, which is about 60 Ks away from Montreal, right on the border going to Malone, New York. And they told me they were my aunt and uncle. They were my father's uh, sister and brother. And they love me. And ooh, they, Anyway, I had to go with these people. I didn't speak German. I didn't speak. They only spoke German. I didn't speak English and I didn't speak French and I had to go with these people because apparently my grandmother lived here. So I arrived on this farm. I don't even remember when. And I walk into this room and this old lady grandmother, I guess she was much younger than I am now. At this room with all these little dolls, but she couldn't, she only remembered me as a two-year-old. I didn't remember that I, you know, I had grown up. I didn't want to be there. I didn't want to be Jewish. I ran to church. I got beaten up by my uncle. I worked in the restaurant. I worked on the farm. I took eggs to bring to the farmers in Montreal. I went to school. I the only salvation was my cousin, who was very nice to me. I hated my grandmother. And I wasn't too fond of my aunt and uncle either. Uh eventually I graduated high school. While I went to high school, You know, we're talking about anti-Semitism and about racism. They had never seen a foreigner like me. I walked into grade nine. You're going into grade seven. Think about me walking into grade nine with a bow in my hair and knee socks. Can you imagine what the kids thought of me? It wasn't a very happy thought. Uh, I came to, I graduated, got a scholarship, went to Montreal, lived in one room. I uh, studied accounting, hated it, tried to get into medicine, couldn't get into medicine because I didn't have parents and I was Jewish and a few other things. Finally, my aunt had a brainwave. Oh, yeah, I wanted, I tried all the nursing schools, that wouldn't take me because I was Jewish. So she got me into the Jewish General Hospital where I was in a class of five people. And while I was there, Somebody would ask me about my past, and they would say, and there's a there's a video that somebody made in Montreal about my past, and they'd say, Oh, don't talk about that. Nobody wants to know. So nobody would let us talk about what happened during the Holocaust. So all that was suppressed because there were a whole group of us who really were never allowed to talk about the Holocaust until Ellie Wizel came out with night and then. Finally, people were allowed to talk. While I was at the Jewish, in training, I went to Verdun. Verdun is a hospital for the mentally ill people. On one of the floors, there was a lady, and she saw my name. She started to scream. She She was a Holocaust survivor. So when I went a little mental and almost got thrown out of nursing. But I still wasn't very happy to be Jewish. I wouldn't tell anybody. Uh, When I made all my applications for graduate school, I did not put in my religion. When I graduated nursing, I was on night shift and I met someone who turned turned out to be my husband. He was a medical student who was going to Europe to study medicine because he uh, couldn't get into McGill. And lo and behold, I went back to Europe with him, and we switched to Germany. I worked at the American Air Force Hospital in Wiesbaden. Yes, I I had a Jewish ceremony. Did I feel Jewish? No. The interesting part for you will be, I will skip you, all my kids, and all that crap. I became Jewish when there was a march in Skokie, Illinois. It was the first real uprising of Nazis in the States. And it was also at the time when I had just started become a head nurse at Maimonides, where I found a lot of anti-Semitism. And once I saw actual anti-Semitism and realized what my parents went through and what everybody else went through, I saw what how anti that I really became. Comfortable being Jewish. My kids are Jewish. My grandson is in Diller. Have you heard about Diller? It's a program for Jewish teens, leadership. And at the end of the year, you can go to Israel for the summer and you have a, a student from Israel exchange with you. So that's really my Holocaust story. And my nice story, my survival is that I have four kids, I have eight grandchildren, I have a great granddaughter. I'm 85 years old. I work full-time. I teach nursing, and you're gorgeous, and that's my story.
0: What were the anti-Semitic acts that you received like?
1: Little things, like if a person was crying because they didn't want to go into the shower, they said, oh, she's going to tell us that Holocaust story again.
0: Because when
1: the older people, Eliana, and
0: which is very
1: hard for you to imagine. Old people, they have a granny, you have a Bubby and a Zadie. Okay, but they're young Bubby and Zadies. They're not old like me. But old people live in the past. And when you lose your memory, which is a thing called dementia, I don't know if you've heard it, but you become afraid of things that you had when you were young. So when these people have to go into the shower, they're petrified. They're petrified that the water will be gas. It's that kind of thing. Or they would say, oh, look how Jewish that person looks. Or, you know, uh, oh, well, all the Jews, you know, they're always doing you. And it makes me crazy. And even my very close friends at school now will say, well, you know, are you going to a Jewish lawyer? And that's why they charge you so much. My friend who just called me, Sylvia said to me the other day, I was going to my accountant, and she says, is he Jewish? Well, no wonder he charges you so much. It's a perception. What does Jewing mean? Jewing means taking advantage of people. That's really what they think, that we as a group take advantage of people, that we'll do anything to get ahead and to make money.
0: How do you feel about being Jewish right now?
1: very comfortable. I will defend it at any time. And I will, you know, I will stand up as I am with you. And I will. Okay, I will tell you what I do with my class. So when I teach right now, I have a class of 18 students, two from the Congo, two from Nigeria, one from the Caribbean, and that kind of student and some from the Philippines. I will start the conversation in helping relationship, which is one of the things that I teach about racism and what does it do to people and how does that make you feel? I will take the class and say half of you have blue eyes and half of you have brown eyes. The blue eyes don't talk to them. I will give all the blue-eyed children a chocolate and none of the brown-eyed children to show what it was like. And why we do these things. And then I will take them to the Holocaust Museum and show them around.
0: Uh, The farmer that you lived with for a couple of years that saved you, was he ever uh, put in Yad Vashem?
1: Oh, my family, yes. My family's in Yad Vashem. And I have, uh, there's a wonderful, wonderful, can't even call it wonderful. There's a very big Holocaust Museum in Washington. My story is there. My family story is there, and it's also at the Holocaust Museum here. And my granddaughter has written a book like this, and one of my other granddaughters is now writing a bigger one.
0: Uh, you told me your last name before. Um, yeah, yeah. Did you change your last name when when you got adopted, or is this your last name from birth?
1: This is my last name from birth. My married name is Tissandou. But here in Quebec, you have to, you know, I said you want my maiden name. I act my I actually been Elantism for a very long time, over 60 years.
0: Before you said that, you took your your father's last name. Uh what was that?
1: Stepfather's first day, but that was never legal. That was strictly so that I the children there in this small town that we lived wouldn't know that I wasn't one of them. I think they all knew. But I managed to put it in my Bible, and I still have that Bible.
0: After you moved to Canada, did you ever see them again?
1: Yeah, I went to visit. And I've, about five, you no, know, maybe eight years ago, I took my youngest daughter with me to Holland, and we visited. And my, I have an older daughter who's very handicapped, and she's a full professor, and when she was, She went on a conference to Switzerland and we went together from Switzerland on the Schnellsuk to uh, Holland and we went to visit everybody. And we went to, and when she went to the Anne Frank house in Amsterdam, she forgot that I was waiting outside. She was in there for three hours, but she found out exactly what happened to my parents, like where they died, how they died, the day they died. So I've been back.
0: What did happen to your parents?
1: My father died in Sobibor in 1943 and my mother at times I'm very grateful that she died on the death march out of Auschwitz in 1945 when the allies were really it was within days they could have been safe but the german Marched all these poor people who were starving without shoes, without warm clothes into death on a death march. and she just died.
0: I saw a video that you were talking about before. In the video you said that people would like call you an animal and dogs and refuse to call you a human. How did you initially feel like this because you were like very young and you didn't you know
1: what alienian, i I'm being very honest with you there are. Certainly, times when I I block, I don't know, and that's being honest. I I you know what I can't tell you what I was like or what it was. It's uh, I think these are the memories that I suppress. What bothers me most and what keeps me up at night now is the rise of anti-Semitism again and so blatantly. And even last week in Coats and Blue, when people came by and called us all these names, and you know, it's I, and for the life of me, I keep asking, why do people hate us? We do good. Why do people hate us?
0: Uh, I just want to tell a story about anti-Semitism. Yes. Last year, there was um, a swatch written on a garbage in NDG. Yeah. And then someone took spray paint the next day and painted over it, NDG is not racist. And it got on Facebook. And it was really like, it was really touching. And it was really sweet of someone to to do that. Now, just watch the part, the part about NDG is not racist. Because I know a lot of people wouldn't really want to do that or like know to do that. And so I just thought that it was like a really good thing to do. Thank you very much for talking to me. You're
1: welcome. You're very sweet. Good luck to you.
0: Wow. She went from being Jewish to Christian, then back to Jewish again. That's a whole lot of religion. But I'm happy to know that she found peace with herself and with her religion. Join me next time when I talk to Dory Abbott. She was hidden by a system called the Underground. If you liked this episode, please like and subscribe and tell your friends. This is Eliane Goldstein. Tune in next time to The Effect on Us. And remember, history will not repeat itself. Bye!